Paris law regulates how phone systems in the United States should enable emergency dialing for end users and how local contacts uh, should be notified of that emergency call. Technology is transforming how we think, how we lead, and how we win. From InterVision, this is Status Go, the show helping IT leaders move beyond the status quo, master their craft, and propel their IT vision. Ten years ago, as a CIO, I had a problem. Like many problems facing CIOs, it was a problem that was hidden from view until it wasn't. The problem revealed itself when the police showed at my office. By the way, this may be a problem you have and don't know it. I have your attention now, don't I? Our problem was our phone system. Yes, the police showed up at my office because of a problem with our phone system. You see, we had over 50 locations in the city. We serviced all these locations with a phone system that ran on servers in our headquarters building. When someone at one of the other locations dialed 911, guess what address displayed to the 911 operator? Yep, our headquarters building, not the location of the caller. When I sat down with today's guest, I was surprised to learn this is a problem many organizations continue to have to this day. Our guest is Otto Sanchez, Director of Engineering here at InterVision. Otto's specialty is in collaboration systems. Welcome to the show, Otto. Thank you for the opportunity, Jeff. Yes, like you said, this is a common issue organizations have in that their phone system would not properly convey the address where the emergency call was made to the public safety responders. Uh, another issue we see often is that um, uh, callers can simply dial 911 directly. Oh, yeah, yeah. So there are a lot of issues related to dialing 911. As you mentioned, other than giving the physical address, you can't dial it directly. Uh, so today we want to talk about two pieces of legislation that our audience needs to be aware of and take action on. Let's start with Kerry's Law. Can you tell the story of Kerry's Law? Who was Kerry and what is this law? Absolutely. In a nutshell, Jeff, Carey's law regulates how phone systems in the United States should enable emergency dialing for end users and how local contacts uh, should be notified of that emergency call. So going into Carey's law, uh, the Carey's law was named in, ho in honor of Carrie Hunt. She was attacked and killed by her estranged husband in a motel room in Texas in 2013. Mm. What is more tragic about this story is that Carrie's nine-year-old daughter tried to call 911 for help four times from that motel room phone, as uh, she had been taught to do. The call never went through because she didn't know that the hotel's phone system required dialing nine for an outbound call before dialing 911. So very tragic. Yes, yes. So Carrie's law applies to MTLS, which is an acronym for uh, multi-line telephone systems. 
which are systems that uh, serve end users in environments uh, such as office buildings, uh, campuses, hotels, and the law by itself has two main requirements. Number one, uh, Carey's law requires that until systems in the United States uh, enable users to dial 911 directly, which mm -hmm. means that users should not dial any prefixes like in the case of Carey's. Um, uh, the other requirement is for phone systems to provide immediate notification of the emergency call. This notification can be done via email, via an SMS, or an automated phone uh, call notifying of the event. The goal of this notification is to create awareness of the emergency call to a local contact or somebody that can help out uh, public responders when they are addressing the emergency on site. So that notification isn't going to emergency responders. It's going to someone with some level of responsibility over the given phone system. Is that, am I understanding that right? The notification should go to somebody that is able to access the premises okay. where the call was made from. Gotcha. Uh, when you make the call to 911, yeah, you should be able to, uh, you know, you're, you're going to get to the public responders and they're going to be able to send help. Okay, that, that makes sense. So for most of us in IT, given our day-to-day -day jobs, we don't often deal with life and death situations. This is certainly one of them. Before we dig deeper into this, I, I want to introduce another piece of legislation our audience needs to understand. So can you tell us about Ray Bombs Act, specifically Section 506 of Ray Bombs Act? Certainly. Uh, this act introduces yet another requirement for emergency dialing in uh, MTLS scenarios. Um, in, the, in these cases, as emergency calls uh, are made, as the Curry's law mandates, which is being able to dial 911 directly, a dispatchable location must, must also be conveyed to the public service answering point or PSAP, which in other terms is a call center that answers your 911 call. Mm -hmm. um, this is of course to ensure that the call that is being made uh, it's got an address that uh, the public responders can dispatch help to. And the law defines a dispatchable location as a valid street address from the 911 uh, caller, plus additional information such as suite or similar information to adequately uh, identify the location of the caller. Again, the goal here is to quickly identify the caller's location as the emergency call is being made. And as you mentioned, both of these apply to MLTS implementations, the multi-line uh, telephone systems. Uh, you you got to love the telecom industry and their acronyms. It, it was a long time before I knew what a POTS line was, P-O-T-S, Plain Old Telephone Service. <laughs> so understanding the acronyms is, is half the battle. So Otto, let's dig into the root of the issue. Why is this so difficult for people to solve? I think there are several aspects uh, here, Jeff. Uh, number one, regulation, right? Until early this year, there was no regular, there was no federal regulation on this matter. So uh, phone system providers, 
and uh, you know IT managers and directors didn't know exactly how to deal with these uh, specific situations. So if you don't have any rules where you, you apply your best judgment in those uh, scenarios, right? So that's one. Uh, number two, MTLS themselves or phone systems, right? There's a large portion of this technology that is running on very old hardware, on-premises, outdated, with uh, you know legacy capabilities in which you are not able to provide you know all the features that emergency calling needs. So that's another one. Mm-hmm. Uh, telecom carrier infrastructure is uh, is another one. Uh, like you're saying, POTS lines was the very very old way to connect a phone system to the public network, and uh, that connectivity has uh, enhanced in. Um, in recent times, but uh, you know, not all the companies or not all the organizations have been able to adapt new ways to connect to the PSTN or to the public network in order to convey information such as the location of the caller. Mm-hmm. Uh, another another aspect that I think it's important is the nature of work. More than more than ever, we are working, uh, you know, from different. Uh, places, uh, offices within our own organizations, which makes very difficult for systems like this to actually locate or, or identify the location of the caller when you're making 911 calls. So all of those factors contribute into how, how difficult it is to, to be in compliance with these uh, you know, new laws. But uh, there's, there's light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. With uh, with new technologies, this gap will narrow. Um, MTLS will migrate to the cloud, or you know, organizations are migrating to the cloud very quickly, which makes these all of these requirements that we're talking about much easier to be in compliance with. Well, that's good news, as you say, the light at the end of the tunnel. So the lack of legislation or regulation prior to now, and and some of the understanding of the system leads to this but but it also seems like we don't even know that that we have a problem right it's a complex problem to solve today with some of the older technologies but many people have that blind spot my former self included so why does it seem like this is something we don't even know exists yes on one hand uh, it leadership who manage these services for corporate users assume that this service just works right yeah. until like in your case it doesn't yeah so it all it's also unlikely that someone dials 911 in an office environment i mean it happens but it doesn't happen every day right uh, another important aspect is that this matter has been lar- largely unregulated from the federal perspective yeah. it makes it you know very hard for people to follow and to know what to do right uh, especially it leaders it's like you know there's not a clear regulation they would not know what to do until yeah. now yeah yeah well and you're right i think it's that assumption i think that was the trap so to speak that i fell into i just assumed that it worked and i was surprised to learn uh, how complex it was to solve that problem. So now that we have these uh, regulations, what do organizations need to do to comply? First of all, the law applies to persons engaged 
in the business of manufacturing, importing, selling, leasing, installing, and managing or operating an MLTS. Mm -hmm. In other words, if you manage and operate your own phone system, then you need to be in compliance. Yeah. If someone yeah. else manages it for you, they need to be in compliance. Ah, so without getting too deep in the technical weeds, what things do they have to do? Uh, we, we talked about you can't have a prefix in front of 911. You have to send a message to uh, someone that has entry or access to the building, and you have to give a much more precise location under Raybaum's Act to the first responders. So given those three requirements, what's technically involved in implementing that? There's not at one size fits all for uh, these type of uh, implementations and remediations. In my perspective, it depends on the nature of the phone system, whether it is a non-prem deployed system or a cloud system. Uh, of course, for cloud solutions, it's much easier to just add a layer of, uh, um, of functionality and just deploy it very quickly. And that usually depends on the actual on the actual vendor that is providing you the solution. So for end users and for IT organizations, it's much easier to be in compliance. For uh, on-premises uh, solutions who are managed by you know an IT organization, it's it's a little it's a little harder to get uh, to the point where you get uh, in compliance with the new laws in terms of effort and uh, and costs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, I've, I've got a question that's probably going to make some of our listeners cringe. When do they have to comply? Uh, that's a good question uh, because I, I don't think it's uh, you know even for for people that uh, that are very aware of these new uh, regulations it's it's not very uh, it's not a known fact that the law is not retroactive right which means that if you have a very old legacy system for which you know you don't comply fully with uh, the requirements of the law as you stated compliance doesn't trigger for them unless they do certain things okay. like major major upgrades of their system so there are certain events that trigger compliance so to your question um as a, as a general statement systems deployed or manufactured after 216 2020 need to be in compliance with caris law okay and there are a couple of dates for Ray Baum's act, right? So the first one, uh, which is uh, being able to provide or to convey a dispatchable location for public uh, safety responders, the first date would be uh, January 6, 2021, right? And that, that applies only to fixed endpoints. And when I say fixed endpoints, I'm talking about desk phones okay. that, that you may have deployed in your office. There's yet another date for compliance, which would be one year one year later after 1-6-2021, you know, uh, which then uh, applies to um, 
to mobile endpoints or not fixed endpoints. Mm-hmm. Think think about cell phones uh, that uh, you know you can deploy in your in your laptop or in your mobile or your smartphone. Right. So right. there are there are three dates to remember there: uh, Carey's Law, uh, 2020 and then the two other dates for Ray Bombs Act. So what are some of the trigger points? If I got a system that I deployed before uh, Kerry's law went into effect on uh, 216 of 2020, what do I need to be aware of? What's gonna trigger my requirement to be in compliance? I think you said a major upgrade. Is there mm-hmm. a definition of what that means? That's a great question uh, because in the law itself, uh, there's not uh, a lot of clarity on what that would be. So what I recommend uh, customers uh, to do and organizations to do is to review uh, with their legal, legal counsel to understand all of those, all of those details. Um, because they also mentioned that, uh, you know, an upgrade to add these features should not come or should come at a reasonable cost. What defines what a reasonable cost is? It's, it's really not very well defined. Yeah. Yeah. So it's possible, I suppose that Mm -hmm. you could get counsel that says, you know, this is not reasonable or, uh, this is not a significant upgrade. So you don't have to comply um, that that doesn't rid you of the burden of ethically complying, right? That's because right. Someone could get hurt or in the case of carry could get killed because you're not in compliance. So it is a, it's a big deal that needs to be reviewed. Would you agree, Otto? Yeah, 100%, Jeff. And that is what we recommend customers. You know, even if you have a legacy system, I think the protection and the safety of your employees and the people that use your system comes first. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. So uh, upon hesitation, our our recommendation to our customers is exactly that. Okay. Okay. So let's say I deployed my phone system let's just call it two years ago. So I haven't undergone a significant upgrade in those two years. There might've been some patching and things that go on. And I'm using an, a, an on-premises phone system. And what does the project look like? What's it involve? What's the level of effort? And just think, we don't have to name a brand of on-site, on-premises phone system, but just think of the typical one that you deal with and what would be involved to uh, comply with these laws? Yeah, it usually requires uh, additional applications in case uh, that the phone system doesn't include those functionalities uh, out of the box. And then uh, there's, a, there's a planning process that uh, you know, in which you discuss with the customer or where the customers identify you know, all their different locations and understand you know, what are the information needed, such as you know, what's the main address of the location, how many floors you got deployed in a specific building. So it's mostly understanding the extent in which the phone system is deployed so that that new application is able to properly identify, first of all, identify where callers are, and number two, how to convey the proper location to end users. Yeah. Uh, yeah. In terms of being able to dial 911, um, you know, 
most of the phone systems are able to do it right now. And in terms of notification, yeah, you may need another application that that does that uh, that does that for you exactly. And at the same at the same time, you need to get information about local contacts or a distribution list for local contacts, so yeah. that when the event happens, people get notified as well. So just a swag, if I've got 500 phones in my organization. Um, is it a three-month project? Is it a six-month project? Just ballpark. Uh, it would be a one to two-month project. Okay. Yes. Okay. So something that if someone really, uh, if this caught their attention, it's feasible that they might be able to, to uh, complete it by the end of the year. Absolutely. Assuming that they're listening to us, uh, we're recording this in September. So you could get it done in that amount of time if you needed to. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Hey, Otto, I'd like to go back to something because I forgot to ask this question. Back in the day when we were dealing with this uh, in the story that I told at the beginning of the call, the process was you had to create a spreadsheet of all your extensions and their physical locations. And you had to provide that to the PSAP for them to be able to pass that on uh, to the first responders. I'm assuming that it's probably somewhat similar today in that you have to associate a physical location with an extension number. But what happens when you move that physical endpoint or change that extension number? Yeah, that's, uh, that's a great question, Jeff, because uh, the law, the, specifically the Ray Bombs Act, uh, specifies that uh, that process should be automatic. So the, the phone system or the MLTS should be able to convey that information and update that information automatically uh, so that you don't have to, you know, basically, you know, every time you move from Office 1 to Office 2, mm -hmm. provide and update that information. Gotcha. gotcha. There is a caveat, though, to that. When users are working, let's say, remotely from home or working from an Internet yeah. cafe, the law provides some flexibility in that you know, MTLS operators can provide end users with mechanisms to actually have them update that information manually. But the tools need to be there available for those end users to do that. That brings up a follow-up question is, what if I am working from home and I've got a, I've got a soft phone, so I'm using my work extension that thinks it's over on the west side of town and I'm sitting in my home on the east side of town and I panic and I use my soft phone to call 911? Yes, yes, that's, that's a great question again. And uh, what the law actually states is that MTLS uh, providers or operators should provide the mechanisms and uh, the notifications to end users so that if they're working remotely, they know ahead of time that they need to update that location as uh, they move okay. around. Gotcha. Okay. Because those mechanisms are, you know, uh, may be difficult to implement automatically when you yeah. are outside of your company. So the responsibility of uh, whoever is managing my phone system, their responsibility is to tell me, the end user, that, hey, you're using a soft phone. You need to update your location while you're there. 
right in, in and then MTLS. it's on me to update it correct yes okay okay Absolutely. Otto, as you know uh listening to status go a lot we're all about action we want to leave our listeners with one or two things that they should do tomorrow because they listen to us today so can you give us one or two things that if our listeners are tuning in what they should go do tomorrow absolutely first i would say know that there's new federal law that regulates how the phone system that you use in your workplace whether you are in the office or remotely should enable emergency dialing dialing for end users it's very important to remember there's now regulation that protects you and your business and your end users in the event of an emergency call. Number two is to get in contact with your service provider in case someone manages it for you or manages that phone system for you and reach out to them to understand how they are getting you in compliance with the new legislation. If you manage and operate your own phone system, reach out to your IT uh, solutions partner to see how they can get uh, how they can help you getting in compliance as well, like you were mentioning about the project, Jeff. Yeah. And usually when we talk about these calls to action, it's what should you do tomorrow? And I almost say that a little casually at times. So I want to be emphatic about it is I would do it today. Uh, I would make sure and start looking into this today. And if you don't do it today, then then do it tomorrow, because as I mentioned earlier, there's not very many times in traditional IT that we're talking about life and death situations, but this is absolutely one of them. So Otto, I really thank you for taking the time to clarify these today until you and I spoke, gosh, a couple of weeks ago, these were things that weren't even on my radar. And my guess is this is new information to many of our listeners. So thank you so much, Otto. Thank you so much, Jeff. I appreciate the time. To our listeners, if you have a question or want to learn more, go to intervision.com. The show notes will provide links and contact information. This is Jeff Tun for Otto Sanchez. Thank you very much for listening. You've been listening to the Status Go podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes or get more information at intervision.com. If you'd like to contribute to the conversation, find InterVision on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter. Thank you for listening. Until next time.